You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Hey, grab your Bible if you have it, and let's open it up to Luke chapter 2 this morning, Luke chapter 2. And as you're turning there, we are uh, three weeks into our Advent series. If you're unfamiliar with that word, Advent is just a Latin word that means coming and so or arrival. And so historically, Christians have set aside the four weeks leading up to Christmas as a focused time to uh, celebrate the first coming of Jesus and then anticipate the second coming of Jesus. And so we have titled our Advent series, as you can see, When the Real Jesus Comes to Town, because Advent is all about the fact that Jesus has come and Jesus is coming again. And uh, our hope in this series is that you will trade whatever false version of Jesus you might have for the real Jesus, that you will encounter and embrace the real presence of the real Jesus. And when that happens, you will begin to experience the hope and the peace and the joy and, um, and the love that you desperately long for. And so with that, I want to look at Luke chapter 2. So look there with me. And uh, we're going to start in verse 1 and we'll read down to verse 14. Luke chapter 2 He says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great Joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with uh, the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. So, Father, my prayer for myself is that you would just locate me here in your presence. Help me be grounded here. Help me be fully present here to your presence. And I pray that you would locate us all here. You've brought us all here this morning, uh, not so that we can be entertained, but so that you can encounter us. So in the same way that you broke into our reality that first Christmas night, I ask that you would break into our reality now. The makeshift shelters and the tiny house of cards kingdoms that I try to build and we try to build to protect ourselves, to give ourselves an identity, to give ourselves some semblance of happiness, break through those walls and encounter us. Jesus, I pray. And do it for the sake of not only our joy, but as we'll see, do it for the sake of your joy. I pray in your powerful, holy, precious name. Amen. 
All right, for those of you who don't know, last Sunday was my birthday. Hey, thank you so much. Now that you know, December 4th is my birthday. You can mark your calendars and make it an annual holiday. And uh, I would appreciate that. So what I want to do is I want to share with you just a little bit about my birthday experience last Sunday. I had all of the ingredients in place for an amazing day, an amazing birthday. So um, first of all, the first ingredient was the fact that it's the first birthday I've celebrated in my hometown in over 10 years because I haven't been here. I've been in Kansas City. So I woke up on my 34th birthday right here with you. I didn't wake up with you. That'd be weird. But I woke up here... In Paragould, Arkansas with you. And I was excited to wake up here in my hometown. I love this place. And so that was ingredient number one. Uh, First thing I did when I woke up was I just, I got up, nobody else was awake, a quiet house. I got alone and spent some time with God. I thanked him just for creating me. The fact that I was alive, the fact that he gave me another year. I don't know what year 34 holds, but I just surrendered it to him. And I thanked him and I just spent some time with him. It was beautiful, sweet moment. I then went from that moment, I carried that moment really with me. I didn't transition, but I carried that moment with me to the breakfast table where I enjoyed the greatest breakfast of all time. My wife the night before had made me her homemade chocolate bourbon pecan pie. Yeah, just say it out loud and it warms your whole soul. Chocolate bourbon pecan pie that I had with a hot cup of coffee. It was literally the breakfast of champions. Um, And so I'm in a pretty good mood, right? This is a happy birthday so far. I then go from there to here. And I come to the 930 and I worship with my fellowship family. And we sing songs and we take communion and we celebrate God's love. And I'm fed. Jared feeds me the word, which is even better than my wife's homemade chocolate bourbon pecan pie. And I leave here with a very full heart, very happy Uh, The next place I go on my birthday is I go to be with my missional community family, and we do our family meal on Sundays right after the 930. So we went and did our family meal. They uh, sang happy birthday to me. They got me a birthday cake. The only weird thing was the cake didn't say happy birthday, Adam. It said happy birthday, little Walter. Uh, And they they sang happy birthday, little Walter. And if you want to know more about that, you can ask Jared what that means. But, But nevertheless, it made me happy. I was very happy up to this point. Now, uh, in the afternoon, uh, things started to take a little bit of a turn for the worse. Uh, The first sign that things were taking a negative turn was that after everybody left my house after missional community discussion, my Amazon Fire Stick decided on my birthday that it didn't want to work. Um, And so I had my heart. That's a problem, by the way, because it's the only way that I can watch the Kansas City Chiefs play football. And so, yeah, somebody, uh, probably Zach, where's Zach? Hey, what's Zach? All right. So in fact, Zach was texting me during missional community while I'm trying to teach, like, are you watching this? And I'm like, no, but I'm going to watch the second half when everybody gets leaves my house, you know? And so I had my heart set on sitting in my chair, eating more homemade chocolate bourbon pecan pie and watching the second half of the Chiefs game. But instead I ended up on the phone with Amazon for over an hour. I missed the entire game and I wasn't very happy. It was about that time that all my children decided to have a total mid-afternoon meltdown. Um, I'm the only man who lives in a house with four women, so I'm used to emotionalism. Uh, When Ron Burgundy said that he's trapped inside of a glass cage of emotion, that's my life. And so... Um, I, the, my kids are having a, t- my youngest is inconsolable. I don't know why she's been fed. She's been changed, but she's, she's miserable. Uh, my, Lucy and Susanna get in a massive fight over this flarp toy. Do you know what a flarp toy is? 
you press it and it makes the most horrible sounds you can ever possibly imagine. So I'm listening to that while they're screaming over that. My, my, my mother-in-law thought it would be a great toy to get them. Um, and so anyways, my only consolation here in this moment as things are just not going my nothing about that says happy birthday, by the way. Um, and so my consolation is all I can think about how, is how at 4 p.m. I'm out of here. Because I've got family coming over to babysit, and my wife and I are going to go to have a nice, quiet dinner and a nice, quiet evening. And we're going to get our Christmas shopping done, and we're going to just enjoy each other's presence away from all the madness. And I just I can't wait for that. Strike three is that my family is over an hour late. The babysitters are over an hour late, uh, which shifts our plans. You know, everything closes in the mall at 6, so we didn't get to do any of our shopping. We uh, it just kind of messed everything up. And by this point, I, my... My, I'm, I'm growing with impatience, I'm growing with frustration, and I'm not very happy anymore. And it's in that moment that it occurs to me, I have literally had hundreds of people wish me happiness today, and yet I'm not happy. Hundreds of people, Facebook, family, friends, you all, wishing me a happy day, and I'm not very happy. And I realize I, I, there's nothing really that I have in my life to be that unhappy about. I've got great, a job I love, a church family I love, people in my life that I love. More than that, I've got God in my life, and I've got His love, which is supposed to be all that I need. And yet, in that moment, and in countless other moments in my life, it wasn't enough to make me happy. So the reason I share that story with you is because my guess is that that resonates with you. You have this insatiable desire to be happy, and you struggle to be happy. Right? Just like on my birthday, you have, we all have uh, arranged our circumstances and arranged our lives in such a way that we can produce and manufacture happiness, and yet we struggle to find it. True happiness. So if you search your heart, my guess is you would find that it's the driving motivation behind every decision you make. Every swipe of the card, every Netflix show you watch, every relationship you pursue, every song you listen to, every purchase you make. Everything you do behind it, driven beneath the surface, is this desire for true and lasting happiness. Is that not what we want? Just uh, we want to be. Nobody sets out to be miserable. We want to be happy. The, the better, more biblical word for what it is that we desire deep in our souls is joy. Happiness, the way that we use the term, is this kind of superficial glibness. It's like uh, it's a form of contentment and, 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 uh, and peace that is purely circumstantial. It, it depends on circumstances going well for me. So when, when the Amazon Fire Stick works, I'm happy. When it doesn't work, I'm not happy. Joy is a form of gratitude and contentment that is bigger than your circumstances. It doesn't depend on your circumstances, and it sustains you and fills you and carries you even through the worst of circumstances. It's the thing all of us long for. C.S. Lewis said it like this. I'm going to put the quote on the screen for you. He, he summed up the whole human story as the quest for joy. In his famous Mere Christianity, he said, All that we call human history, money, Poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something which will make him truly happy. When the old guys use happiness like that, they're talking about the biblical concept of joy, by the way. 
Here's another one. Blaise Pascal, uh, 18th century French mathematician and theologian, says it like this. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. Get this. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. Those who take their own life, what's driving that decision? Beneath it all, what's driving every decision beneath it all is the desire for true and lasting joy. It leaves me with a burning question that it should leave you with. If this is what's driving everything we do, we want to be happy, we want to have real joy, then why is it so difficult to find? Why do we spend our whole lives searching for something that few of us ever find? You might find it in a moment, and then in the next moment, it's gone. So why is joy so slippery and elusive and difficult to grasp? Why does it always seem just beyond our reach? Christmas answers this question for us. Luke answers this question for us by inviting us to ask a different question. I'm sorry for all the quotes, but this guy says it better than I. When people can preach your sermon better than you, you just quote them. So here, this guy poses the question for us. This is from a book called The Joy Project, The Story of Inescapable Happiness. I highly recommend it. And uh, Tony Ranke says this. We think of our chase for joy as a fundamental right, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it's no surprise. By nature, we are pleasure seekers. And we are also chronically unsuccessful at finding the type of joy that will endure for more than a passing moment. But what if long-lasting joy isn't found at all? What if the deepest and most durable happiness breaks into our lives, overcomes our boredom, and ultimately finds us? What if true joy is out of your reach, but is reaching for you? What if joy is not something to be pursued and found? What if joy is something that pursues and finds you, reaches for you, lunges for you, grasps for you? And Luke says in chapter 2 of his gospel, this is Christmas. He describes Christmas in terms of joy breaking into our reality and pursuing you and reaching for you and grabbing you and taking hold of you. And Luke says when this joy grabs you, when it seizes you, you can't get rid of it. It's inescapable and it's indestructible. So look with me. Let's dive into it and let's just unpack it. Verse 8. Look with me at the text. Let's talk about this inbreaking of indestructible joy. Luke says this. In chapter 2, verse 8, he says, In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appears to them. Notice how he just breaks and he appears to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So I want to invite us to kind of leave this space for a second, and let's go to the ancient world for a moment. I want you to see yourself in this narrative so you can feel the full weight of this. Put yourself in the shoes of the shepherds for just a moment. You are, we are right now sitting on the hills of ancient Palestine in the middle of a field in the middle of the night, and you're sitting in total darkness. This is before Thomas Edison. There's no street lights. It's pitch black. You're doing your routine everyday job, the thing you do every night. You're just watching these sheep, making sure that they stay alive. That's your job. When all of a sudden, 
your whole world, your whole routine gets interrupted by this piercing, earth-shattering light that breaks through the darkness and startles you almost to death. Uh, it, the only emotion you feel when that happens, look at the text, is what? Fear. Great fear. Can you feel that? Great fear. Closest thing I had to compare it to is about a year ago, it was in the middle of the night that my oldest daughter, Lucy, came bursting into our room, uh, flipping on the lamp and announcing to me the good news that she had successfully cleaned her room at three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And so the first emotion I felt was great fear. And then my fear turned into frustration because A, you almost made me wet the bed. B, what in the world are you doing out of bed? And C, if you're going to come barging into my life in the middle of the night and wake me up with a message, hopefully it's more urgent and more relevant than that. Sorry, Lucy. This angel burst onto the scene and interrupts the shepherd's whole life. And this divine messenger, right, that's an angel, has been sent by God with a specific message. The, the shepherds are not filled with frustration because the message that this angel has for them couldn't be more relevant to their entire life. It speaks directly to the joy that you spend all your money, all your time, all your energy trying to find. Look at, what, look at the message. Let's, let's look at what the angel says in verse 10. Don't be afraid. He says, hey, I want to transform your fear into joy. Watch this. Don't be afraid because I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's make a couple of observations about this verse. Keep looking at it. Uh, Notice the shepherds didn't manufacture this joy. They didn't stumble upon this joy. They didn't produce this joy. This joy slapped them in the face. This joy came after them. This joy broke into their world. Notice, too, that this isn't just any kind of joy. This is a very particular kind of joy that's related to the birth of this Messiah that God promised to send. And here's the thing about this Messiah. He has a name. Look with me at verse 21. Look down at Luke chapter 2, verse 21. At the end of the eight days when this baby was circumcised, he was called what? Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So here's what Luke wants you to see. The joy that you long for has a name, and his name is Jesus. Look at how Luke describes this joy, Jesus. Look back at verse 10. Look at how he describes Jesus. He says, Jesus is good news. Does he not? Jesus is good news, he says. That's the word for gospel. Jesus is the gospel or the good news of great joy, Luke says. Not little joy, not modest joy. This this Jesus is good news of great joy. And this joy is available for who, Luke says? All people. I would circle the word all if I were you. What does all people mean? Here's what it means. It means all. Thank you, Randy. It means all, right? It's all inclusive. It's everybody. So let me put this down on the bottom shelf for me because I need. I, that's where I need to get it from. Here's what that means. That means that Jesus' good news of great joy for me 
And Jesus has good news of great joy for you. See, that's what Christmas is, com- is proclaiming to you. Beneath all the sentimentalism and the commercialism, here's what Christmas is saying to you. God is crazy about you. God created you and he's crazy about you. And he loves you so much and he finds so much delight in you. And he himself is filled with so much joy that he absolutely has to share it with you. And so he puts on flesh and he comes after you. And he pursues you. And he breaks, he comes from heaven to earth. And he breaks into our reality and he says, Merry Christmas. I've got great news for you. This is what Jesus wants to do in your life. Don't you see the same thing he did in the shepherds' lives? He wants right now to break into your routine life, whatever that is for you, and he wants to awaken you to the reality of his resurrected presence, which is here with us now. Just like he did with the shepherds, he wants to shatter the darkness in your life with the light of the glory of his love and his presence. He wants to turn your great fear into great joy. How many of you in this room, don't, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you in this room right now are just carrying this underlying anxiety and fear related to work, related to money, related to relationships, related to everything? Fear and anxiety, you brought it in the room. The angel says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Jesus is here. You have nothing to fear because Jesus is here. He wants to transform your fear into joy. How many of you in this room feel guilt and shame? Jesus came to transform your guilt and your shame into unexplainable joy. In fact, that's what Jesus says in John 15. He actually says in John 15, we'll put it on the screen, he came to take his joy and share it with you. He came to take his joy and put his joy in you so that your joy will be full. How about that? And then he goes on to say in John 16, we'll put that on the screen, that no one will take this joy from you. Nobody. Nobody's going to take this from you. The joy that you are pursuing is pursuing you. The joy you're looking for is looking for you, trying to find you. And his name is Jesus. So I think the question that we need to ask is, have you encountered this Jesus? Have you embraced this Jesus? Has this Jesus encountered and embraced you? Might be the more accurate way of putting it. And the way that you answer that question is by asking this question. Is this Jesus good news of great joy to you? When you look at Jesus, do you encounter him as good news of great joy? Or is he an add-on and an accessory to your life and your agenda? Who is Jesus to you? Is he joy? Where are you? What's the thing you're looking to and looking for and reaching for, believing that when you finally have it and grasp it, it'll give you joy? If it's not Jesus, here's what Luke wants us to see. It's always going to leave you with guilt, fear, and shame, and ultimately, it's going to destroy your life. Luke says the joy you long for is longing for you, and his name is Jesus. And then Luke not only tells us that this joy is coming for you, he tells us not only that Jesus is good news of great joy, he tells us why Jesus is good news of great joy. What is it about Jesus that is good news of great joy for all people? Well, that's a great question. Uh, look with me at, back down at the text, and uh, I want to talk about a few things. Here's what, I want to I point out three things, three reasons why Jesus is good news of great joy for you 
and for me and for all people. Look at verse 10. It says, uh, Luke says, The angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And here's the good news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Okay, so the first reason why Jesus is good news of great joy for you is because Jesus is the Savior who came to save you. You see that in the text? He's the Savior who came to save you. Jesus alone has the power to give you indestructible joy because Jesus alone has the power to save you. He's your only hope for salvation. Now, what do you think of when you hear that word? When you see words like Savior and salvation in the Bible, what comes to your mind? Because when the Bible talks about salvation, it says that Jesus is the Messiah who came to save us. It doesn't just mean that Jesus came to get you out of hell. It doesn't just mean that Jesus came to set you free from the psychological pain of the guilt of your sin or whatever. It means that Jesus came to bring you into a relationship with the God who created you. When, when, the, when the Bible says Jesus came to save you, it's talking about something that is relational. Salvation is relational. It's about being restored into fellowship with God. So here's how, here's how one of my favorite authors describes it. I'll put this on the screen for you. He says, salvation is not good news. None of this is good news of great joy if it only saves us from hell and not for God. Forgiveness is not good news if it only gives relief from guilt, fear, and shame, but doesn't open the way to God. Justification isn't good news if it only makes us legally acceptable to God, uh, but doesn't bring fellowship with God. Redemption is not good news if it uh, only liberates us from the bondage, but doesn't bring us to God. Adoption is not good news if it only puts us in the Father's family, but not in the Father's arms. And this is crucial because many people want to embrace the good news without embracing God himself. The reason why Jesus is such good news of great joy is because he came to save you. And that means he came to bring you back to the God who made you and created you. Here's what Peter says. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 3.18. Christ suffered for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He came to bring you to God, okay? And the reason why that is utterly relevant for your life, it brings us to the second reason why Jesus is such good news of great joy, because it doesn't mean that he, he came only to save you. He came to satisfy you. When the Bible says he came to bring us to God and bring us into relationship with God, it means he came to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul, to bring you into the ultimate source of true and lasting satisfaction that you were made for, God himself. Here's what David says in Psalm 16. David says this, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. He says, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is what? In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Here's what Luke wants us to see when Jesus breaks into our reality and bursts onto the scene. He wants us to see that Christmas is not about the joy of getting presents. Christmas is about the joy of getting presents. It's about Jesus coming to save you. 
Do you realize that? To save you, not just to get you out of hell. He's not your, he's not your fire insurance. He's not your get out of hell free card. He's the relationship you long for. He's the joy that you desperately crave and need. He came to take you and bring you into God's presence in which there is fullness of joy. You know what that means? There's only one being in the universe who cares more about your joy and your eternal happiness than you do. Jesus. And he came to bring you into a relationship with that joy. Is that how you describe your relationship with God? I think is the question we have to ask. Is that the kind of joy you have? Peter described it as a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Here's how, here's how another, I'm sorry for all the quotes. Actually, I'm not. Again, when, it, when a guy preaches a sermon better than I can, I'll just let him do it. So this is um, another one of my favorite authors. He says this, uh, when Peter says Jesus suffered to bring us to God, here's what he means. Uh, he says, why is this the essence of the good news of great joy? Because we were made to experience full and lasting happiness from seeing and savoring the glory of God. If our best joy comes from something less, we are idolaters, and God is dishonored. He created us in such a way that his glory is displayed through our joy in it. The gospel of Christ is the good news that at the cost of his son's life, God has done everything necessary to enthrall us with what will make us eternally and ever increasingly happy, namely himself. This is what Jesus came to give you, God himself. That's the ultimate present of all time. So do you believe that? Is, is that? is that how you describe your relationship with God? If you're anything like me, you don't, or you don't often, or you struggle with that, right? I'm a fellow struggler there with you. So here's a few reasons why I think we struggle to experience the joy of salvation, the joy of having a loving relationship with God. I think some of you struggle to experience this kind of inbreaking joy in your life because salvation is not something that's relational for you. It's something that's transactional for you. So salvation is not so much about a delight in the living God. It's more about a duty. It's not about trusting Jesus. It's about trying really hard to prove yourself to him. So it's this transactional relationship. You understand what I mean by that? It's the same relationship you have with a vendor. You pay, you put something in, and you get something out, right? So there's this transactional relationship. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and then God's going to owe me. I'm going to put in, and then God's going to give back, right? I'm going to say this prayer, clean up my life a little bit. I'm going to try my best not to do anything to wreck my life. I'm going to add a little Jesus and a little religion as an accessory to my life and my agenda. And then God's going to love me, and God's going to accept me, and everything will be fine. I'll go to heaven. I'll get out of hell free. I'll go to heaven when I die. That's far from biblical Christianity. It's far from the gospel, the good news of great joy that comes to us at Christmas. And no, you know what? It's not, a, it's not the ingredients for great joy. It's actually the ingredients for great fear. Because how can you know if you've ever done enough? Jesus wants to set you free from that. Some of you struggle to experience this joy because you don't even claim to be a Christian. You're running from Jesus. You're running from him. He's pursuing you and you're running from him. And so the call that we have from Jesus, it's always Christmas with Jesus, by the way, because he's always coming, always arriving, always pursuing, always running. 
And so as he's coming after you, the invitation is stop, man, surrender to him. Like the way you receive this joy is to stop working for it, stop trying to hide from it, stop trying to find it somewhere else, take the posture of a child, which is to say you open your arms and you surrender everything to Jesus. That's called faith. I can't do this. You can do this. I give up. You win. Take this. You're, I, I'm yours. That's, that's, so receive this gift. That's how, you, that's how you experience, begin to experience this joy. Some of you, I think many of you, I find myself in this category a lot. Many of us in this room and in this city struggle to experience this great joy uh, because if we're honest, there just isn't any room for Jesus in our lives. So uh, look back at chapter 2, verse 7 of the, of the Christmas narrative and uh, look at what Luke says. He says, She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there wasn't any room for him in the inn. I find it fascinating that when a president or some celebrity comes to town, we roll out the red carpet, right? And we give them the most luxurious hotels to stay in, paid for, Right? When the king of kings and lord of lords comes to town, he gets a barn in the backwoods of Bethlehem. Why? Well, Luke says, because it's simple. There just isn't any room. There's not enough room for Jesus in this world. Jesus says in John 1, I came to my own. They didn't receive me. There's not room for him. So I think Luke's inviting us to ask a powerful question. Is there any room for Jesus in your life? Can we take an inventory of our lives for a second? Is there any room for Jesus in your life? Or, like the innkeepers at Bethlehem, are you shutting him out? So I can speak for myself here. I can't speak for you. But if my life, my heart, and my head is a hotel, right, like in Bethlehem, it is cluttered with squatters and guests that are unwelcome, but that for some reason I deem more important than the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so my life is cluttered often with obsessive, neurotic busyness, anxiety and worry and stress and guilt because I think I'm never doing enough and consumerism, which is especially this time of year, which is ironic that we take Christmas and turn it into that, right? What about you? Is there any room for Jesus in your life? You want to know what that's called? When we do that, that's what one writer calls affectional atheism. Affectional, affectional atheism. It's when we claim to be disciples of Jesus, but when it comes down to it, we just don't believe he can satisfy us. Affectional, functional atheism. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I ain't got any room for Jesus in my life because my life is filled with lesser pleasures and things that I think ultimately will fulfill my deepest desires. And by the way, that's why I'm miserable. How ironic is that? Jesus comes to us at Christmas and says, Wake up, man. The joy you're pursuing is pursuing you. And his name is Jesus. Surrender to him. By the way, that's the essence of sin, finding our joy and satisfaction outside of the person of God. This is a freebie. This is another sermon. But go back and look at Genesis chapter 3 and guess how our, our first episode of sin is described in terms of desire and delight. We saw the fruit on the tree, and it was a delight to us. And we desired, for the first time in human history, something more than the God we were made for. And boom, enters guilt, fear, shame, death, destruction. I think that uh, 
some of you struggle to experience uh, this joy that Jesus offers, not only because, or maybe it's not necessarily because you are viewing this as a transactional relationship where you're trying to work for him, or it's not necessarily because you're running from him and don't want to believe in him, uh, or it's not necessarily because your life is too cluttered, but it's because your life is so damaged. Like some of us struggle to experience this joy because we're suffering deeply in our lives. Some of you, for some of you, 2016 was such a painful year. I think it's fascinating, by the way, that we start every year of our lives, we start off wishing one another happiness, right? Happy New Year. Why do we do that? Because we long for happiness. And we hope that every year is a happy one. But 2017, newsflash, will be just like 2016. It'll have some blessings in it. It'll also have a lot of brokenness for you in it. It'll have a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, a lot of strife, some death, some unforeseen stuff, some curveballs. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. And for a lot of us in this room, that's how 2016 was. And you brought that into this room. And so you're asking yourself, what does any of this have to do with me? All this joy talk, my life is a wreck and I'm hurting. Well, here's the good news of great joy that comes to us at Christmas. The joy Jesus offers is is a kind of joy that has the power and the substance because the joy is himself to fill you and sustain you even through the worst, most darkest, most painful moments of your life. Here's what Christmas is telling you, all right? Christmas is telling you that joy is not the absence of pain. Joy is the presence of God. And that's what Jesus came to give you at Christmas. And you're asking the question, well, how do I know that God really understands what I'm going through, that he can really be my joy and, and, and really be enough for me? Well, that brings me to the third and final reason that we're going to land this plane. Third and final reason why Jesus really is good news of great joy for you, for all of us when we're suffering. Because if you're not suffering now, everybody's going to get their turn at suffering. So Jesus is good news of great joy, even in your darkness and your suffering, because he not only came to save you, he not only came to satisfy you, but he came to eternally sympathize with you. Look back at verse 7, and you'll see the the, the baby Jesus sympathizing with you. Look at verse 7 and tell me, where do you see Jesus lying in this moment? Where is he? Put yourself in that barn with the shepherds. Actually, in verse 15, they run to Bethlehem to see this Jesus. You're standing there huddled around football style, shoulder to shoulder with these shepherds, gazing into this manger. Tell me what you see in that moment. We like to think of this as a cute, cuddly, cozy little baby, right? I used to think that whoever wrote the song Away in a Manger, which is Martin Luther, by the way, obviously never had kids because they say things like, Uh, The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Like, what newborn baby wakes up in the middle of the night and doesn't cry? Like, here's what you're seeing in this moment. There's not a halo above this kid's head. There's no imminent glow, you know, divine glow coming out of him. You're seeing in this moment a real human being. And you're seeing a slimy, crying, stinky, smelly baby laying in a stinky, smelly feeding trough in a stinky, smelly, smelly barn surrounded by animals. Here's how Frederick Buchner says it, and, and, and I'll warn you, this is kind of gross. He says, The child is born in the night among beasts, warmed by the sweet breath and steaming dung of beasts, 
and nothing is ever the same again because this is the Savior of the world. Don't you see that the manger is proclaiming to you the miracle and the mystery of Christmas? What you see lying in the manger that first Christmas night is none other than the infinite creator God staring back at you with helpless human eyes. Listen, guys, God really did become man. This is not Superman. Superman had to fake it. You remember when Superman was born and he crashed into the middle of that field in nowhere, Kansas, in in the first movie, and his parents find him, and the next scene, he's standing out there butt naked, this little boy holding a car over his head. Am I the only person who's seen Superman? You remember that? This is not Superman. God didn't have to fake it. He literally became a helpless human baby. If, if his mommy and his daddy don't tend to his every need, he'll die in that manger as quickly as he was born in it. He is a helpless human baby. You want to know why he did it? Hebrews 4.15 says he did it to sympathize with you. Look at this. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus knows what it is to be homeless. He knows what it is to be hungry. He knows what it is to be rejected. He's acquainted with disease. He's acquainted with suffering. And he sure is acquainted with death. Because here's the amazing news. This baby in a manger eventually grew up and became the man that we all failed to be. And he lived the life we failed to live and he died the death we deserve to die. He went from the cradle to the cross where he paid for our sin where he can eternally sympathize with your weakness. How much joy does it give you to know that God is with you in your suffering, that he has shared in your suffering, that his suffering will put an end to all suffering, and that when you come to him with your neediness and your weakness and your brokenness, your prayers and your cries are not met with the way I often, honestly, full confession, treat my kids, get out of here, leave me alone. No, man. Our high priest always meets your request with compassion and understanding because he knows what it's like to be you. And he loves you. And he did it all for the sake of your joy. So I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they do, I want to close. I want to get to communion like this. One of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible, if you ask me, is Hebrews 12 verse 2. We'll put it on the screen. It says this, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Based on that verse, what is it that drove Jesus from heaven to the cradle to the cross for you? What drove Jesus It was his own pursuit of joy. It was for the joy set before him. It was his own chase, the thrill of chasing after joy, which is to say it was the thrill of chasing after you. God loves us so much that he has set his affections on us, and we are, the Bible says, his joy, his inheritance, his treasure. And Jesus has come to make you his joy, to put his joy in you, so that your joy will be complete. And the only thing you need to do to experience that is to open your hands and make yourself available to him and surrender your life to him.